Hello, and welcome to Faculty Feed with me, Dr. Jerry Ravelais, Associate Vice President of Professional and Educational Development at the University of Louisville's Health Sciences Center. With me are my co-hosts, Dr. Stacy Sainer, Director of HSC Professional and Educational Development, and Dr. Laura Weingartner, Director of Research for Health Professions Education. Once a week, we'll come together and use this podcast to bring professional and educational development content to feed your hunger and satisfy your appetite so you can magnify your impact as an educator, clinician, researcher, and academic leader. Welcome to Faculty Feed. It is really great today. We have two recent Liam graduates, and they are going to be talking about their project from Liam. And so today we have Dr. Becky Gessler, who is an assistant professor at the School of Nursing. And we have the lovely Dr. Natalie Henderson, who's an associate professor of pediatrics in the Division of Critical Care. So ladies, welcome. Thank you. Thanks. Before we jump into your project, could you just uh, give us a little background? What do you do here at UofL? As you said, I am in the School of Nursing. I teach in the third and fourth semester child health and then a professional transitions to practice. And I work pretty closely with the students as they go out to Capstone in their respective areas of interest and mentor them along the way. Great. I have several roles, I guess, within the university and my clinical world. My primary role is, um, I guess, associate professor at Norton Children's in the pediatric critical care unit, primarily the cardiac ICU. I'm an advisory dean for medical students at UofL I'm a hit or miss PBL instructor. Some semesters go. I do it, some semesters I don't. I also am our director of palliative care at the Children's Hospital now. Oh. Yeah, and I'm our associate fellowship program director. So the project was to actually uh, utilize some type of asynchronous learning within an educational environment. Well, first of all, when we got the asynchronous topic, we didn't want people to be bored. Right. Right. We've all done a class in Blackboard where your teacher assigns something and you're like on YouTube watching what they assign, but you're also checking your Instagram and you're doing other things. So you're truly not learning. Mm -mm. Or, you know, the HIPAA classes or the bloodborne pathogen (laughs) classes. We've all done those. And so we were thinking, how do we engage learners in ways that move them forward without boring them to death? And all the data out there shows you people don't have the focus, right? TED Talks are a length for the reason. Myself and two of my fellows in critical care thought about that. Okay, how can we create educational products for our transport team, our nurses, our residents that keep their interest, that teach them what we want them to learn? And then one of my partners said, well, what if you did it in a way that you're teaching the nurse what the doctor does and the doctor what the nurse does? So there's a collaborative approach and there's a lot of desire for that in medicine currently and not a lot of data out there to demonstrate what's happening, mostly because it's qualitative. Right. And qualitative data is hard to obtain. and Time-consuming. It's to very time-consuming and hard to publish. So when we got these videos going, we said, okay, how do we choose the topics? Well, we just looked at the American Board of Pediatrics requirements for critical care and took the top 10 things that they said to focus on and then made those videos. So that was, you know, two years ago or so, two fellows and I, we... We voluntold my partners um, in critical care that they were going to participate. And then some of our senior nursing staff agreed to participate as well. And then the videos kind of sat there Uh, because once we made them, it was really difficult. It was in like right at the end of COVID. So as my fellows started collecting data, getting residents and nurses to have time to come into focus groups and collect the qualitative data became tricky. 
And I said, that's fine. You move on and do a fellow project that gets you data faster and publishable. I understand that. But then when we got to this project, Becky's like, oh, I can use these in right now. I can implement <laughs> them right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we did. And I think the topics were high yield. I think the nursing students appreciate seeing other nurses and senior nurses in there. And then also learning the physiology from the physician teams. Natalie, tell us just some of the topics, just so we have some idea what you're talking about. Bronchiolitis, asthma, septic shock, mm-hmm. um, basics of congenital heart disease, ventilator management, DKA, acid base, basic procedures. So mm-hmm. how do you put an arterial line in? And then the nurse, they showed a demonstration with a sim- simulator. And then the nurse talked about how she or he manages the line, the device, how you secure it, how you keep it clean, infection prevention of that. And so it covered lots of topics. And my hope truly was not just the dissemination of physiology, but also to get, for me, my students or residents to appreciate the nursing role because you will not be a successful physician if you do not have nurses that support what you're doing. So Becky, you saw something when you heard about these videos that, that triggered that you could use these immediately. Talk, us, talk to us about that. Well, I was in the process of not changing the curriculum, but adding to the content of, so when I did respiratory, there's a heavy discussion about asthma, but I wanted to go a little beyond the kid at home with asthma. I wanted to talk about the kid in the ICU with asthma because that's my true love and background. And so when I heard about the videos, I thought to myself, our textbook's not going to talk about that. It's basic um, pediatrics, and um, and it's actually a combo maternity peds book, so there's even less oh, of, wow. you know, the usual. And so I kept trying to think, do I need to bring in speakers? I mean, I had you guys come in and talk for a while. That was a hit, by the way. I knew that if they watched the videos, they would get what I was trying to teach them But instead of it coming from me, I needed it to come from somebody in that area right now. I was in that area for a long time, but I needed somebody that was currently working there. And I liked this collaborative approach of a provider and a nurse talking about it together and then so they could see both sides. So Yeah, it's great that they that their students mm-hmm. could see this physician nurse dyad that's so critical to make it go, right? Natalie, would you be successful if you were by yourself in the ICU? No nurses? Well no. When I go out in the community <laughs> and they're like, Oh, we need a doctor, I'm like, Where's my team? <laughs> so I don't raise my hand. So so the credit goes to you, Becky, for seeing the potential of what these videos could demonstrate for your for your students in, in, in so many ways, not just the content, but to see this interaction and this collaboration work. So that that was very unique to be able to see that and then be able to pollinate across two different schools. Yeah, that was a bonus for using the videos is that piece. So when I worked in the ICU, I mean, we worked with our team of providers all the time and I can tell the students how important that is but I need them to see how important yes. that is. Right. That's and right. like Natalie said, watching I could show them YouTube videos of ECMO well, or exactly. that kind of thing. That's the thing when you actually see someone you know. You know, we could pull education videos from CHOP or from, you know, Chola. All these centers have good education out there. Lots of sums of money to publish these mm-hmm. things. However, when you see someone you know talk about something, then you can actually go to them later and say, hey, I saw your video. You were talking about acute ARDS, for instance. Mm-hmm. What did you mean when you said this? Right. And you can get more information. And then it's more relational as opposed to just learning.
walk us through the project. What exactly did you do um, with your videos and, and how'd it go? So I looked at the topics and I took my content, so you know, schedule, and I just started plugging in throughout the topic. So you know, asthma was in respiratory course. When we did cardiac, there were a few. You know, I did some shock. I did a few other things. There's a fluids. You know, all, and interestingly, it's all the things that the students tell me are difficult to learn. Mm. So I thought, well, here's a bonus. You know, yeah. I'm going to teach it to you, but then we're going to watch this video and you're going to hear it again. And in my mind, I thought to myself. So the students are taking mental health, child health, and critical care adult in that same semester. So in my mind, I thought a lot about how those videos can actually help them in that critical care adult course, because shock is shock. Uh The amount of fluid and the amount of medicine you give is different, but shock is shock. So I started encouraging the students. I was like, well, I haven't assigned the brain death video, but you are having that lecture in your uh, critical care course watch it and see what happens and so over this that semester we're working on our project i assigned them to be watched i tested them on so i wrote test questions based on the video content too you know for the test no more than that and um what i found out was students liked them what was the best part is really all that qualitative piece students would go then out of my class to the next semester to capstone and be over in cardiac icu and and they would go up just like you said i saw dr henderson i know you talk about her all the time in those videos (laughs) or students said my preceptor pulled open the ecmo video and we watched it and or my instructor clinical instructor lindsey cox is in one of the videos Uh so it, it is that made it just it really blossomed when that kind of thing happened but i tested them i surveyed them the group that had graduated that didn't get the videos i surveyed them on would they have liked them i showed them three and then i surveyed our group when they were finished to see you know how did they like the delivery was it appropriate to them the length of the video okay were the topics good and I only assigned so many out of the now tw- 26 that I have access to, hopefully 40. Not all of them, but the students were watching them all. Yeah. Particularly the ones who knew they were going to go into pediatric critical care. They were in those videos all the time. So I, what my hope was, they're going to go to their orientation as a new graduate and already have a little bit of knowledge to get them going. And maybe they won't be as overwhelmed by all of the things you can see there at one time. And from an asynchronous perspective, we were hoping to glean when we studied, when we sent a survey to these students, did they like the timing of the delivery? Mm-hmm. Would they have preferred it before the class started? So would you like to have all 10 videos at the beginning of the semester? Would you like them as we did it and like interspersed throughout each content area or at the end right before your exam? So the delivery of the asynchronous material. Mm-hmm. And they all said the middle, which is they all liked how we delivered it. Now, maybe there's some bias in that. Right. But when you and i think it would probably still be the same if there wasn't that bias in that you learn when you have a a scaffold Mm -hmm. and then you plug information into your scaffold they also we also wanted to know about delivery so would you have preferred it to be emailed versus text versus this different platform i think they all and i don't remember the exact data did like the youtube option Mm -hmm. we toyed with different platforms blackboard is kind of cumbersome on your phone clunky yep and the way we had written this was that if we had a protected YouTube so you could only access just because of the content, it's not standard of care, so we can't disseminate. Right. You know, this is how everyone believes on, you know, ARDS. 
so they could access it from their phone. If Dr. Gessler emailed them the link, then they could access it on their phone. And so that was something we were trying to see is did students like that? So we've all experienced um, online trainings of some sort. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned some earlier in, in the session here that are usually not very helpful and not a, a conducive learning environment in part because they're so long. So tell me, how long are these videos? They vary um, typically 10, 20 at the most. Okay. I give one of my partners a little bit of grief, Dr. Havlin. He's a long talker. So his neuro, his like stroke, I think his is like one of the neuro topics is his passion is 30, mm-hmm. but we, we give, okay, don't worry, I gave him a lot of crap about it, but most of them are 10 to 15. So they're short, mm-hmm. so it's in a time frame when most people can attend for right. that period of time before they get distracted and pull their phone out and do Instagram or whatever else right. they would do. Right. Okay, so that's great. So so the length of them was helpful. Yes. It sounds like the quality of the videos and the physician-nurse combination was unique as well. Anything else about the videos that they especially liked? The students, so if I signed a video, let's say, from their publisher website of their textbook, it's very much actor, actor's type of thing. And the students don't like that. But this, they were like, I've seen those people. You know, they were instantly drawn into that. And it was kind of a more real type of situation for the students. And they, they did enjoy that. I thought the videos were great quality. It was exactly what if I was teaching a full critical care peds class, I probably would have talked about. And it truly did help me incorporate more acute care into the course, which was the goal. Yeah, I think also what made the videos a little bit different is I was able to work with the videographer who was very good at editing. And so some of the dyads chose to script. People who were very nervous about public speaking wrote every single word that they were gonna say. Some people were conversational and it was just a back and forth in their conversation. They had a list of topics and he, the videographer was able to edit both types. And if you wanted to provide slides, for instance, one of my partners, Dr. Peterson was doing, I think hers is shock and she mm-hmm. was able, had a whiteboard behind her and able to stand up and write equations in real time as they talked about it. And then the nurse was able to talk about what this looked like when you started medicines. And so that's just an example. So he was able, while they were talking to have the, video of the board going and you could watch the equation being written as they're talking about it. Your team was very interdisciplinary. And so I would like for you to talk about what benefits you guys saw as as this group working on this project. I'll be honest, I think the benefit for me of the group was less about the project because like I tell most of my students, your entire career and most of your life in general is about who you know and the relationships and how you can leverage those and not leverage in a negative way, but utilize those relationships to grow your career, grow your path, make connections and benefit others. So we were put into this group. We did a project. We had a good time. We were successful in the program. However, my son injured himself running. Brittany's the first person I called. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. That's a relationship that's now formed. Becky has students that rotate. She's able to text me and say, hey, the student's coming through, check in on them. Mm-hmm. You know, Dongfing is a great statistician. We're always in need of statisticians for fellow <laughs> projects. I have a feeling that she will be utilized within the next year. And so I think that piece of Liam and, and program similar is an under-recognized or maybe under-appreciated thing because 
relationships are how you grow. I don't care what your MCAT score is or your step two score is, but if you know how to make relationships, someone's going to call and get you a job. Someone's going to move you forward. They're going to sponsor you in a room you're not in. And I think that's the benefit of a project like this. So Liam's now in its sixth year, and um, by next summer we'll have close to 200 graduates through the program. And one of the unanticipated benefits that we discovered that we had no intent as we set this up in 2017 is that very thing, that relationships were established across schools at the Health Science Center, but now across the university because we had people from business and education and arts and sciences come through. And now we have senior administrators from UL Health that are involved in the program. And so the unanticipated benefit of having the ability to run into people that you really should know about what they do and how they contribute to the system and what makes it go. And that's just been a, a, a fun thing for us to watch, a very satisfying thing. And Natalie, what you're describing is emotional intelligence. This last five minutes that you talked, it's all about your self-awareness, your social awareness, your self-management, and the relationship management that comes from that. And if you're not good at relationships, but you're a really smart critical care doctor, you'll have a limited influence in any system, whether it's at the school or at university level. There's no overstating the importance of emotional intelligence and the team projects in Liam are a big part of, they're so uncomfortable. We get the most complaints about team projects and people that are free riders and this one never shows up and I can't talk to her. Sorry, it's like dorm rooms or something. You, you get a, you get a roommate. That's who you're going to be with. Make it work, and it just forces us to get better at that kind of relationship and and project work, because that's what you do your whole career. You get thrown into clusters of people, and and you're told, please solve this problem or come up with options for this problem. So this is the taste of that. As you know, since you are both prior faculty feed guests, we tend to ask a question towards the end. So after listening to the podcast, whenever people get around to listening to this one, what kind of, what would you ask them to do um, as a result of listening to this episode? I think that I would say to them, don't be afraid to try something new. We, in higher ed or any education, we get stuck in just doing the same thing over and over again. But our students change and they need a whole different approach now than they did, you know, 15 years ago. So I would say, don't be afraid to take a little leap of faith and see what happens. I think for me, the takeaway would be assume that everyone around you has something that you can learn. Yeah. And that you can do your job better when you work collaboratively with others. Couldn't end it better than that. Well, Dr. Becky Gessler. Dr. Natalie Henderson, thank you so much for being on Faculty Feed. If you want to up your game or enhance your skills in the academic setting, this is the place to be. As together, we strive to make the University of Louisville a great place to learn, a great place to work, and a great place to discover and connect. Don't forget to check out the show notes for links and additional resources about today's episode. And feel free to contact us at factfeed at louisville.edu. That's F-A-C-F-E-E-D at louisville.edu. Join us next time for more and Come Hungry.